The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing today? Okay, so like the left side, you guys are doing awesome. Uh, if you're on this side, don't be confused. You're my left side. You're like, it's my right side. Uh, the right side of the room, you guys awake this morning? Yes. Okay. I believe you. It's very good to be here. Hey, my name is Jesse. Uh, I am the youth pastor over at our Marysville campus, which means I get to hang out with Eli all the time. Uh, The last time I was here, I know Eli is a 49ers fan, so that was tough to get over before I spoke. But uh, the 49ers were getting ready to actually beat the Seahawks, I think later on that same day, and also give up a massive lead in the Super Bowl in the second half. And so uh, it's really great to be here again and just to say that publicly for Eli. Um, But hey, I'm excited to be here with all of you guys today. And I have a question. Yesterday was Leap Day. Did we have any birthdays that were yesterday? No. Okay, good. So that means we get to celebrate your birthdays every single year for the next four years, not every four years. Uh, That would have been funnier if someone was actually born on Leap Day and you were here, but it's all good. Uh, Hey, as Nick said, we're jumping in um, to the song, The Heart of Worship, today, continuing our series titled Behind the Music. And over the past few weeks, we've been intentionally selecting and breaking down songs that have been influential in the way we worship and the way we reflect on God throughout church history. And so we've been going through this series, and last week we were in the year of 1994, which is actually the year that I was born. Anyone else, 1994? Some of you are laughing. You're like, I don't remember that uh, because you were not alive yet. You're young. But so I was born in 1994. That's the year that I was born, the year that my wife was born, Joy, who was on the keys. Uh, She is an incredible worship leader. Some people ask me, do you also play instruments and sing? And the answer is a hard no. I definitely don't. But I can come up here and say things, and that's a a good thing. Uh, But this, this week in our series, we're jumping ahead to the late 90s. And when I think of the late 90s, Things come to mind like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, staying up on the couch watching a TV show called Frasier. Has anyone seen Frasier? I just love that show so much. Actually, it's it's older, but I love it. Uh, But when I also think of the late 90s, some of my earliest memories as a kid come to mind. Some of my earliest memories, one of those memories is I remember being probably two, or at least I hope I was only two, because I was like crawling across the floor. Maybe I was five and hadn't figured out the walking thing yet. But I remember like crawling across the floor and being so excited because I was crawling towards like our family dog. That's one of my earliest memories. The other memory is that same family dog uh, had actually used uh, the deck out back as its bathroom, which is kind of gross. But my dad told me and my brother, hey, get the hose, go out there and clean off the deck. And I actually threw up because I thought it was so gross. My brother had to clean all of it. That's another early memories. I don't know why they all involve dogs. That's kind of weird. Do we have any dog people in the house? Cat people? I'll pray for you. Um, I have a cat. He's okay sometimes. But some of my earliest memories, and I want us to reflect today, what are some of your earliest memories in life? Because isn't it true that the farther we drift from significant events and moments in our life, the easier it becomes to forget how exactly they went down. The emotions begin to fade. Things become harder to remember the more as years go by. And to combat this, we create intentional tools 
to help us remember. You know, your phone has the ability to set reminders. We think back to the Super Bowl and you had the commercial where you had the elderly gentleman who was communicating memories about him and his wife to a Google assistant who's remembering all of these different things for him. It's a tool to help him remember. Meanwhile, we're all sitting in the audience waiting for that commercial to get funny because we don't look for sadness when it comes to Super Bowl commercials. We're like, oh, Lord, stop. Well, we create tools that help us remember. Uh, My wife's grandma, her name is Dorothy, really sweet lady, but she still makes a thing every year, gives it to Joy for Christmas called a photo album. And a photo album, not like on your phone, but the actual book that has pictures in it. And it's a collection of pictures that she's taken over the past year. And it's simply a gift and a tool to help us remember everything that their family has walked through over the course of a year. Many of us, we take videos. I know Joy and I, we have our wedding on video. And there's something about when we go back and we watch these events and these experiences on video that bring the emotions back, almost to the way we felt when it was actually happening. Something about a relationship is revitalized when you remember how and why it began and how you felt when you did. There's something powerful when a couple remembers back to the reason why they fell in love in the first place, so they go and renew their wedding vows. There's something that's incredible when you think back and watch home videos of your kids that are growing up, which I hope my parents still have those. If not, you know, I promise I was cute. You can believe me for that. But there's something powerful that happens when we reflect back on maybe the birth of our kids. There's something powerful that happens when, if you're in here today and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can think back to the exact place you were. You can go visit that spot where you had a moment where you encountered God. There's something revitalizing about a relationship, and it brings those emotions back. But for many of us, it's so easy for us to fall into a routine of gradually drifting away from why it was significant and starting to just go through the motions. This can happen in friendships where we start to lose contact over time. This can happen in our marriage if we're not intentional about investing in it continually over the years. We can start to go through the motions in our relationships. And I would say this is also true when it comes to our relationship with God. The farther we get from the moment we accepted Christ, the farther we get from the moment where we felt his love first became real to us, the farther away we get from that, if we're not intentional, we can start to drift and go through the motions. And today we're talking about the heart of worship, which is a song. But what I first want us all to know and understand is that worship connects us to our creator. Worship isn't just a time where we come together and we sing songs. It's not just a time where the band comes up and they play so we can entertain people. But worship is an opportunity for us to come together as a church and worship our Creator. And worship, it's more than just singing on a Sunday. Worship can be a variety of different things. And I love what Psalm 22.3 says. Psalm 22.3 says, Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. See, worship connects us to our Creator, and this verse is telling us that when we worship, that God is literally there in in those places and in that presence. Worship connects us to God. When we worship, it's more than just singing, but on a Sunday morning, God is there when we worship. When we worship through our giving, God is there. 
When you're driving along, belting it out, worship songs, come on, you know, maybe uh, come thou fount, you're singing in your car on your commute, or uh, if you're a youth student, like this is living, whatever the song might be, you're singing these songs and you're belting it out as you're driving to school or to work, and God is there with you. When you give thanks to God in prayer, you praise him for all he's done for you, God is there. When you're singing worship songs in the shower, God probably thinks twice about it, but he's there. Any opportunity you take to worship, God is there with you. But so often, we just go through the motions or focus on the wrong thing when we worship. How many of us have ever related to these following instances? Man, I would sing and worship today, but honestly, I was up kind of late. And today, I'm just pretty tired. So I think I'll just kind of half engage in worship. Maybe you can relate to this. Today during worship, I'd rather just sit and check my phone, check the score, browse social media. Maybe you're up here and you think, man, I can't really sing, so I'll just let the worship do it. And being married to Joy, that's a temptation for me all the time. I'm like, Lord, she's good. You don't actually need my help. Just, she's got it. Maybe for you, you would sing, but you have specific songs you don't like to sing. And you think, man, I'll sing for the first two songs. Once song three comes up, I'm just going to... I'm going to stop because I don't really like the lyrics of that song. I would worship, but uh, some of these newer worship songs are kind of just fluffy. And what happens is we have this opportunity to connect with God, and rather than jumping into this moment, we can let our preferences, we can start to drift away. These things can get in the way of us fully engaging. If you took this attitude and carried it into any other significant in your relationship in your life, what would that look like? I think about my relationship with Joy. When she comes home from work and I have an opportunity to connect with her, what would it be like if I said, you know, I could take this opportunity to connect, but I'm just just pretty tired today, so I'm just going to be on my phone and kind of half listen to what she's trying to say to me. When Joy comes home from work, and I mean, you know, I really should tell her like how thankful I am like every single day for all that she does, for who she is. But, you know, I'm just going to save that for anniversaries and birthdays. Church world, that's like Christmas Eve and Easter. What would it look like if I were to take this attitude in and she gets home from work and I just don't give her my full attention? I don't acknowledge that she's there or what she has to say to me. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can do this same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. And today we're diving into the song, The Heart of Worship, by Matt Redmond. And to give you some context on this song, this song was birthed out of a church plant. And the church plant had been going on for probably about five or six years. And man, in its opening stages, the church was electric. The worship atmosphere was powerful. People were coming. The church was growing. People were entering into worship. And it was getting really good. But what ends up happening is the pastor and the staff, they begin to notice after a few years of this rhythm continuing, that the electricity began to dissipate from the room. That the worship sets didn't have quite the same feel, that people weren't engaging. People started to complain more about, oh, you know, I didn't really like how it sounded today. It was a little loud for my taste. I don't know if the atmosphere was really my thing. And he found himself trying to lead his church through this situation. I like to actually just read their story because it captures it better than me paraphrasing it. But here's what it says. The song, The Heart of Worship, dates back to the late 1990s, born from a period of apathy within Matt's home church, Soul Survivor, in Watford, England. 
Despite the country's overall contribution to the current worship revival, Redmond's congregation was struggling to find meaning in its musical outpouring at the time. There was a dynamic missing, so the pastor did a pretty brave thing, he recalls. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the band for a season. Let that sink in. Imagine that here. And we gathered together with just our voices. Quick pause, if you can't sing, that probably terrifies you as it terrifies me. His point was that we'd lost our way in worship, and the way to get back to the heart of worship would be to strip everything away. Reminding his church family to be producers in worship, not just consumers, the pastor, Mike Pilavachi, asked, when you come through the doors on a Sunday, this is really crucial, what are you bringing as your offering to God? Matt says the question initially led to some embarrassing silence, but eventually people broke into a cappella songs and heartfelt prayers, encountering God in a fresh way. Before long, we reintroduced the musicians and the sound system as we gained a new perspective that worship is all about Jesus. And he commands a response in the depths of our souls, no matter what the circumstance and setting. The heart of worship simply describes what happened. Today, I want us to reflect on this question, and it was the question that Pastor Mike asked his congregation, but it's this, when you come through the doors on a Sunday to Grove Snohomish, what are you bringing as your offering to God? When you come into this place on a Sunday morning, and you've got your coffee, and you just dropped off the kids, and you're entering into this time of worship, what is it that you are bringing as your offering to God? Psalm 96, 7 through 9 says this, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. See, this, this psalmist, as he's walking us through what it looks like to worship and to bring an offering, the first thing he begins with is a recognition of who God is, a recognition of what God has done. He says that worship isn't just offering, it's not just singing, but it's recognizing God for who he is. And for us as a church, how often do we intentionally set aside moments whether it's here on a Sunday morning or throughout our week, where we intentionally reflect on who God is and what he has done for us in our life. If you have a hard time thinking about what exactly God has done, you can thank him simply for the fact that he loves us enough to send Jesus to die for us so we can have that relationship with him. There's something powerful about taking an intentional moment to reflect as we worship on, what God, on who God is and what he has done. The psalmist then continues to go on and uses two phrases, the glory he deserves and bring your offering. And when you come into a time of worship, whether it's here at church, whether it's in your car during the week, when you enter into this moment, whether you know it or not, you are bringing something as your offering. You may just not know what exactly it is and how that looks. Is it simply when you come into worship, are you bringing your best or are you bringing your second best? I jump back to a story in the book of Exodus about two guys named Cain and Abel who were brothers. And we'll jump into that in verse um, 3 here. Here's what it says. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. 
So catch this. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. See, what's interesting in this story is that Cain and Abel, they each bring an offering of some kind before God. Abel brings what's the very best of his flock and what he's produced. And Cain brings sort of his second best. It's not what God really wants or desires from him. And see, God ultimately doesn't care about whether or not it's fruit or whether or not the offering is an animal. He doesn't ultimately care about that. But what he cares about is the fact that it reveals something that's happening in both of their hearts. See, for Abel, God was first in his heart, so he got his very best. For Cain, God probably wasn't first in his heart, so we got his second bless, second best. Verse 1 of the song Heart of Worship says this, When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. When you enter into worship, are you bringing your best into your opportunities to worship God? When you worship God, do you take time to reflect on what you have? And not just to acknowledge what God has blessed you with, but also to take intentional time to thank him for it. When you enter into worship, do you come with an eager heart, acknowledging and understanding that this is an opportunity for you to connect with your creator in spite of the worship team or anything else happening or any other distractions happening around you? Do you wake up and get to worship on time on a Sunday? And that might ruffle some feathers in the room. I understand stuff happens, but being on time for a worship set really is bringing your best. And please, if like something happened today, don't take offense to that, but you understand what I'm saying. Or when you enter into worship, are you bringing your second best? Do you let the whole worship set pass without singing? And for all the dudes in the room, uh, sometimes singing is not exactly our favorite thing. You're like, Jesse, you don't understand. If I sang, that is not giving God my best. He does not want that, I'm pretty sure. But do you let the whole worship set pass without singing? Maybe you say, I would have sung today, but you had different reasons, whether it was a song choice, whether it's a distraction from home and you chose not to sing. Do you lip sync your way through a worship set? I always come back to the scene in the movie Elf. Anyone seen Elf? And it's at the very end, they're trying to sing and get Santa sleigh to fly. And the kid's dad is just standing there like, sometimes we do that in worship. Do you come into worship and do you take phone calls or texts during that time? Do you set aside opportunities, yes, to pray and worship and thank God during the week, but then if your phone goes off or something for work comes up, you're very quick to lay that down and take care of something else. Do you offer your best or your second best when you worship? Because the key thing for us to understand is that what you offer reveals your heart. What you offer reveals whether or not God truly has the priority in that moment. And for all of us, it's not about how well we can sing. It's not about whether or not we have our lives together, but it's about, is God the first and foremost in our life? Joy was a choir teacher for a couple years, and she had a saying that she went through with all of her kids, and it sounds really cheesy, but it was, bring it when you sing it, which again, I don't sing, guys, and like that saying just, it terrifies me, but bring it when you sing it, and simply that idea means that when you're on the platform, when your opportunity has come to engage, that you're not just kind of going through it with half the effort, but rather you're giving it your very best. 
You're putting your best foot forward, your best effort, because you know, as the psalmist says in this verse earlier, that give God the glory he deserves. There's a key word, the glory that he deserves. Can I tell you this morning that when we worship, God deserves the glory. God has blessed us with so much that we don't deserve. And when we withhold worship from him, when we don't make those intentional windows in our life, then we're not giving God what he deserves. Romans 12.1 tells us this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, if you go back to the Old Testament, again, we have the story of Cain and Abel, and they presented offerings to God. And those offerings were what they would call a sacrifice of atonement, simply meaning it was a sacrifice that was offered for the forgiveness of sins. The great news is that because of Jesus, he came and he died and he rose again, and he was that final sacrifice, so we don't have to do that anymore. But if you study into this a little bit, there's a second kind of sacrifice that existed, and that was a sacrifice of acknowledgement, of acknowledging God for his goodness, of acknowledging God for his blessings, of acknowledging God simply for who he is and who he is to us as people. And when this passage talks about in Romans 12:1, offering your body as a living sacrifice, it's not a sacrifice of atonement because Jesus has already paid that, but it's a sacrifice of saying, God, I'm going to live my life in acknowledgement of you. God, when I worship, it's going to be because of who you are, not because of what I brought to the table, but because of who you are. It's coming forward in a time of worship and saying, God, here I am. God, here is what I am bringing, and I just want to be with you. God, I just want to connect with you as my creator. Verse 2 of the song says this, King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. I love this line here, Though I am weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath. You see, today the heart of worship isn't about music. The heart of worship isn't about having it all together and being perfect when we sing. The heart of worship isn't about whether or not we even feel like worshiping. But no, the heart of worship is this. The heart of worship is to connect with our Creator. The heart of worship is to connect with the God who loves you deeply. The heart of worship is to connect with the God who made you, who gave your life purpose, who gave you existence. That is the heart of worship. You know, the pastor of Matt's church, Soul Survivor, he was talking about this song and he had a line that I loved and so I'm going to steal it because I couldn't come up with something better. But what he said is that a love that is not expressed is a love that is incomplete. And if you're in here today and you would say, yeah, I I definitely, I love Jesus. Yeah, I love God, but worship is a struggle for me. Entering into a time of singing, telling God what I'm thankful for, reflecting on that, it's difficult. What you need to realize is that what you're missing out on, man, it's an opportunity to express your love to God, to have that relationship come full circle, to allow God to speak into your heart and into your life. So what does it mean for you this week to come back to the heart of worship? What does it mean for you to put the focus back on Jesus? Because it's all about him. Maybe for you, you simply need to work on stripping away all the distractions. 
On a Sunday morning, that could simply mean when you're here, you put your phone on airplane mode or on do not disturb and you enter into a time of worship, trusting that God has in control whatever else is happening. Maybe for you, that moment looks like taking a time during your week where you go into your room and you lock your door and you just pray and you thank God for who he is and what he's done for you. Maybe for you, it's working on what you're bringing to the table when you worship, which is sort of encompassed in that first point, but being intentional about Jesus today in worship, what does it look like for me to bring my very best? Is it singing a song? And maybe you're in here today and you haven't sang a song in church for three or four years because of who knows why, but today God is leading you to engage. Maybe for you, it's praying a prayer of thanksgiving and thankfulness for who God is and what he's done. Maybe for you, your application is simply this, and that's to create moments outside of Sunday to worship. You could say, man, I'm here like, Jesse, I got it down. Okay, I raise my hands, I sing, I use deodorant so this doesn't offend anybody, and I worship and I enter into God's presence. But maybe during the week, that same intentionality, that same opportunity is sort of lacking. What does it look like for you to enter in and to come back to the heart of worship? You know, one of the most powerful moments of worship I ever experienced was in the country of Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, right before we went, the king changed the name because I guess when you're a king, you can do that sort of thing. But we went on a missions team and we went out to do ministry with rural villages. And some of you have maybe been overseas, you've been to a church service in another country. And I remember pulling up to the village, we get out of the van and we walk up to the pastor of the church who's outside and we already hear music going, but by our clock, we're 15 minutes early. And I remember saying like, you know, are we late? What's going on? And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, no, they've just been going for four hours early. They're just already worshiping. And I remember entering into that room and in this church building, you know, it was nice for what they had built there, but there wasn't air conditioning. And the first day we had gotten there and did an outreach with a bunch of kids, it was 107 degrees. And so here we are on a Sunday morning, it's probably 95 to 100 outside, 100% humidity, and you're in this room and one, everyone also dresses up and you start to sweat and people are literally dancing and worshiping. And at one point they actually invited our team. They said, we'd like to invite the Americans to come forward. And we're like, so we all get out of our chairs, we go down to the front. And I had wondered, like, what kind of technology does a rural village in Africa have? And I learned that on that day, every single person has a smartphone. Because we start dancing in front of people, and there's every single one of them. Not kidding. But there was a deep sense of joy when you're there. And the worship team, you know, they were decent, but they weren't the best. But to them, their heart was in the right place, and they were bringing their very best before God. The sound system was blaring loud. It was so loud, it was distorting, and you couldn't actually understand what was being said or sung. But they were worshiping, and there was a genuine sense of joy, a genuine sense of God's presence like I had never felt before. And it was such a harsh transition coming back. And at the church we were at before, you know, I was the one who would, I would see all the little connect cards that would come in during the week. And it was like the Sunday I got back and someone says, the air conditioning was too cold this week. Music was a little loud. And that broke me. Because there are people around the world where they don't have what we have. 
And they take these moments to intentionally lean in, to bring their offering, to come back to the heart of worship because they understand it's not about our external circumstances or factors, it's about Jesus. It's not about whether or not we have our life together, whether or not the worship team is, is perfect. I mean, this morning we had a couple people again, like we said, who had to cancel last minute. But that's not what it's about. It's about taking a time to enter in and to worship God and to come back to Jesus, who it's all about. The chorus of the song says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. That song is my prayer for you this morning. That you would come back to what worship is all about. To the fact that it's all about Jesus. And in this moment, Joy is going to lead us through this song again. And my encouragement for you is to reflect on what does it mean to come back to the heart of worship. Maybe for you, coming back means you repent in this moment of making worship about you or about something else that it wasn't intended to be. Maybe for you, your response is to remember what God has done for you and to thank God for all he's done for you. Not just to remember, but to actually tell him thank you, to express your gratitude to him, and then just to praise God for who he is, to stand to your feet, to lift your hands, to sing. Sometimes we get weird about lifting our hands. It's simply just a sign of saying, God, here I am. God, here's what I've brought before you today. God, I just wanna be with you. What does it look like for you today to come back to the heart of worship? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to be here. God, for the chance that we have to connect with our creator. God, I pray, Lord, that this song that we sing, God, it wouldn't just be something that impacts us today in this service, but that Jesus, it would be something that changes the trajectory of how we worship. God, that we would set intentional systems and things in place, God, to help us remember what it's all about. God, that if we've made worship, Lord, about anything that it's not so supposed to be, God, would you convict our hearts? God, would you remind us that the heart of worship is to connect with you? So God, today as we close in this time of response, Jesus, I pray that we would bring our very best to the table, that we would enter in, we would lean in, how that we would understand what it means to worship you, to make it all about Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing this last song? Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you wanna keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.